Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. And we are here every weekday at 4 o'clock to take your phone calls and answer your questions. Questions about the Bible, questions about uh, maybe something going on in your life and what the Bible says or what solutions the Bible has for those circumstances. Um, Whatever's on your heart, we'll do the best that we can to answer. We love your live calls. It makes for a more interesting program. The phone numbers are 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free mobile app. That's the Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our producer at the studio. A uh, quick word of explanation. Yesterday we were all set to do the program and and my producer got sick. And since I'm a technical idiot, I can't do anything on my own or without him. Uh, I was just lost, so we had to play a a repeat broadcast. We're sorry for that, especially with Joy of Jesus coming this week. We we certainly don't want to miss any time here on the radio program. By the way, I just miss being with you, so uh, I appreciate your patience, and uh, we're doing our best. He is still a little under the weather, but he's soldiering on. He is here and doing his best, so thank you very much for your patience. Uh, because it's Wednesday uh, tonight, we have our Old Testament Bible study here at Calvary Chapel. Um, I'll be finishing First Samuel chapter 25. Pretty important Bible study uh, for those of us some 5,000 years later, 25 uh, or uh, 3,500 years later. Um, um, it, it's that important. So um, that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the program. And uh, we look forward, as always, to being there. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to our first phone call, Austin, Texas, and talk with Mark on line one. Mark, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yeah, hi. Um, I've been home. Uh, I had a foot operation that drained an infection out, so I appreciate prayer so I could get back to work soon. But I've been listening to a lot of ministries. And this one, I've heard him say this twice, and he's a huge ministry, and it sounds crazy and even blasphemous. I've never heard anyone but him say this. And what he says is Jesus, when he died, went to hell and, like, suffered in torment like we would, like a person lost would for three days. And then the Holy Spirit came in him, and he was the first born again. And then he left, and so now we can be born again. He's like our brother, and he became born again. But, I mean, if he's the son of God, that just sounds crazy. And this is the second time I've heard him say it. He's teaching on that. I don't see it anywhere in Scripture, and I don't know where he's getting it. I just wonder what you thought. Yeah, Mark, thank you for your discernment. You're you're picking up correctly. Uh, I know the teaching. I don't know, obviously, who you're speaking about specifically, and that doesn't matter. But uh, the teaching is pretty classic um, prosperity teaching. 
Uh, it is heretical. It is blasphemous. Uh, it is false teaching. And Jesus did not go and suffer. Jesus uh, went and declared victory. Uh, Peter tells us um, he went to uh, the the abyss and set the captives free. Ephesians tells us, Paul tells us. So it, it wasn't a thing at all about about him going and suffering and, and emerging as the first born again believer. Again, that's classic uh, prosperity teaching. Uh, but it is blasphemous and heretical, and and um, your your discernment is working. Um, I would not listen uh, ever again to anybody who made those comments. Um, uh, it, it's just it, it's so um, so wrong, so uh, damaging. In fact, the, the long term effect that you just wouldn't do it. Uh, we do have here in San Antonio uh, some uh, pretty large prosperity. Uh, ministries, and they're guilty of teaching that kind of blasphemy and other things. So it's just as bad. The other thing I'd tell you, Mark, is is this: that um, the people who are sitting in those teachings. These are big churches. It's easy to get a big church when you tell people what they want to hear. When you give them a message that's all about them, when it's so fleshy, so carnal, that the first thing that people think about, well, what's in it for me? And then you tell them what's in it for them, and that's what they want. So they're following you under false pretenses. It's a false hope. Um, So uh, don't support them. Don't listen to them. uh, Run the other direction. Uh, And sadly, and it really pains my heart to say this, sadly, um, you you said you've never heard anybody else uh, but him say it. He's now said it twice. I've heard it now for the 26 years that I've been saved over and over and over and those church continue to be full those churches have pastors who continue to live in uh, very expensive homes extravagant lives in gated communities uh, taking advantage of the people who are gullible enough to believe it so uh, it is a horrible horrible thing uh, Mark I will pray for you I'm going to pray for you now very quickly but I will keep you in my prayers so you appreciate if you keep me posted on your progress Father uh, we pray for Mark's recovery we pray that you will renew his strength and that all of that strength will be used for your glory pour out your spirit of healing and recovery on him Lord uh, we ask you to do this um, for no other reason than you're merciful and you love your people Jesus help him I pray Amen Mark, thank you for the call. I appreciate it very, very much. And again, thank you for your discernment. Uh, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Ted from our email inbox. Uh, Ted says, I can't think of the specific chapters or verses, but in Genesis, Abraham brings God's wrath down from the whole city of of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, two, but but then says if ten people are found righteous, he'll spare the city. And in Exodus, uh, God's about to wipe out the Israelites, and Moses convinces him not to, reminding him that he made promises to Abraham. I thought we couldn't change God's mind. What's going on in those passages, uh, if not that? Uh, Ted, these passages are confusing to some people, and uh, I understand the confusion in the question. But but here's something that we have to understand. Of course, God, you know, King James uses the old word, God repented. Um, um, it makes it sound like God uh, was sort of shocked by the by the outcome, and and uh, I'll I'll fix it. Um, gosh, I didn't know that was going to happen. Well, that obviously doesn't describe a God who's omniscient, who's omnipotent, who's uh, omnipresent, uh, a God who is perfectly holy and knows the end from the beginning. So in these chapters, and these are very important pictures of Jesus to come, God is picking the man that he's chosen in Genesis Abraham and in Exodus uh, Moses and he's making them a picture of the Christ to come. And all he's doing is putting them in situations. These are individual tests that God uh, tests Abraham with and he tests Moses with, just like he tests you, uh, Ted, and like he tests me. But he's testing them to find out what's in their heart. Now, obviously, God knows what's in their heart because he knows everything. But they don't know what's in their heart. And never was there more of a, of a Christ-like heart than Abraham 
hating judgment. Isaiah 28 says that judgment is a strange word to God. So when Jesus appears in in uh, in Genesis and tells uh, Abraham, he says, I, I'm not going to withhold anything from you because you're my friend. And a friend tells a friend everything. Uh, there's judgment that's going to come on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's heart was instantly to intercede on their behalf. And he did it through the, the process of negotiation. Started at 50 and went all the way down. God knew how many in Sodom and Gomorrah were righteous. He knew that it was only Lot and his children. Even Lot's wife didn't make it out. So it's really important. Abraham was an intercessor. The Bible says, Hebrews, that Christ li- ever lives to make intercession for us. And literally, in Greek, it's he is an ever-living statement of intercession. It's not like he's up there pleading with the Father. Oh, come on, give him a break. Come on. Uh, I prayed for Mark a minute ago. Uh, heal Mark. It's not G- Jesus' presence in heaven as a glorified human, fully God, fully man, is a statement of everlasting intercession on our behalf. In Moses' case, uh, these were tests over and over and over. Um, you know, God and Moses had what could be considered even comical exchanges. Um, uh, your people, God. Well, they're not my people, Moses. They're your people. And, and they'd have those exchanges. Well, God was putting Moses in a place where he would intercede. And every prayer of intercession appealed to God's character, to God's nature, to the promises that he'd already made. For the glory of God, if you don't go with us, then all of the other nations are going to know that your promises have failed. And Moses finally stood up at the at the final point, and he said, if you don't go, I'm not going. And that's when God would have smiled from heaven and said, okay, I'll go with you. But you see, that's what God was doing all along. He was putting Moses' heart in that place to intercede for the people. That's what's going on in those passages. God is making men after his own heart. And Ted, for you and for me, God continues to make men after his own heart uh, to this very day. It's important to remember that when God is asking you to stand in the gap for people that are going to be judged, he's asking you, will you accept my heart? Again, judgment is a strange work to God, Isaiah 28 says, a work that is foreign to God. And so God raises up people, most notably, of course, Jesus. But he still raises up people to intercede. I always think, Ted, and because we're in Romans on our Sunday morning studies here at Calvary Chapel, this is so fresh in my mind, and it always convicts me so deeply. But I'm mindful of Paul opening Romans chapter 9. And in essence, what he's saying is, my prayer is that my brothers, the Jews, would get saved. Not only is that my prayer, but I'd give my place in heaven if that could be possible. God raised up Paul to intercede for people. How many people, how many Jews do you think got saved as a result of the Apostle Paul's prayers? Well, that's what's going on in those passages, and since God doesn't change, that's what's going on to this very day. So, um, great question, Ted. Thank you very, very much. Uh, It's God's desire that we would always, always have his heart for the people that are going to be judged. They may drive us crazy, but God doesn't care. He wants us to have his heart. Thank you a lot, Ted. Appreciate it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's another question from Michael from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, God bless you and your radio ministries. It has been a hu- as it has been a huge blessing in my life. Um, Michael, thank you very much for that. Then he says this, I know you do not like to speak about individuals on whether or not they're bad or false teachers. But I wanted to ask your opinion whether a certain pastor's doctrine, person's doctrine is sound. I first want to say that I listen to your radio program every day. God bless you, Michael. Uh, I access older radio podcasts on your website, um, as well as your word-by-word teachings. I do this in order to surround myself with a word which is positive. I also read the Bible, and I can't always do so especially when I'm driving. I love, and by the way, this is my insertion, Michael. I love the fact that technology has made Bible teaching um, more readily available 
uh, and, and at no cost than at any time in the history of the world. Think about this. Uh, you can listen to Christian radio on AM 630, The Word. You can listen to uh, websites and, and, and free stuff. Everything I've ever taught here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is offered for free on our website. And many, many, many other pastors, uh, really good Bible teachers, do the very same thing. We want the Word to get out. So I think that's important. He says, I listen to, back to Michael's question, I listen to AM 630 and 1100 KDRY. We have several people speaking the Word of God throughout the day. Is there anyone you would recommend to listen to or to avoid? Some examples, Paul Shepard, Ron Zappia, Dr. Michael Youssef, um, David Jeremiah, or Tony Evans. I hope this question isn't silly or offends at all. Michael, no question is silly, and certainly I don't take offense uh, at these things. I don't like to talk about people because sometimes... Um, uh, I, especially if I don't know them. Uh, I actually know a couple of the people on your list. Um, but um, um, I don't like to talk about them because I, I, I don't want to judge their hearts. So when I do, and I'm asked, I never avoid a question. I won't avoid this one either. Um, but uh, remember, we can't know a heart. All we can do is judge the teaching. That's very, very important. So uh, just the examples that you you mentioned. By the way, you asked who I'd recommend. Um, um, I love to listen to Adrian Rogers. He's with Jesus now. Um, not only has he got maybe the greatest voice in the history of preaching, uh, but, but he was just a really good, solid Bible teacher. I like to listen to J. Vernon McGee. Uh, J. Vernon is pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I think that's effective Bible teaching, and obviously the Lord... Um, agrees with that because, um, you know, 30 years after J. Vernon's death, uh, people are still getting saved. God is still using him. Can you imagine you're in heaven and the reward register just keeps ringing? Well, that's what's happening with his ministry. So there are a lot of good people uh, on the radio. Um, on on a couple of these stations, there's uh, pastors that have come out of this church that I can recommend. Troy Neely from Solid Rock uh, Calvary Chapel uh, is a good Bible teacher. And um, there, there are just a lot of other guys on both of the stations. And, of course, I have radio programs on both of the stations as well. Regarding the ones that you mentioned, Paul Shepard, I think, is one of the most gifted Bible teachers uh, around. Uh, Paul has had some troubles in his walk with the Lord, and, and uh, uh, it appears, and I don't know what the extent of those troubles are, um, but uh, he is a gifted, truly a gifted communicator. Um, I think he takes doctrine a little bit too lightly sometimes, but I've never heard him say something that was um, um, bad doctrine or, or heretical doctrine. Uh, and I think he has a gift given by God to make the teaching really, really practical. Remember, when we're listening to Paul Shepard, uh, we're listening to him teach his church. Uh, and, and so a lot of that is focused directly on the people. But but I, I can recommend uh, his teaching. I don't know him personally, but I can recommend his teaching. You ask about Ron Zappia. I am not at all a fan um, I, not doctrinal issues because frankly I can't listen to him enough uh, to, to know what he's got in terms of good doctrine or bad um, but but he's crude at times um, uh, and I just think there's a harshness uh, he is a, a disciple or a student of James McDonald out of Harvest Bible Fellowship in uh, the Chicago area uh, and he sounds exactly like uh, James McDonald. Um, but my objection mostly is, is just the, the sort of the unloving tone, uh, the constant um, um, asking for money, um, and, and just uh, the, the, the crudeness uh, of the sheep. So, so he's the only one in on this list that I couldn't recommend enthusiastically. But again, I don't listen enough to him to know whether or not his doctrine is good or bad. Uh, I just, his teaching style is offensive to me. Uh, Dr. Michael Youssef is a really godly man, and, and uh, uh, he is an Anglican, um, um, but, but uh, sort of bent toward the evangelical side of Anglican, Anglican uh, churches. Uh, but he's a really good teacher. He's a really passionate guy. Uh, I've never heard a single hint of scandal. Uh, he's not uh, living 
um, an extravagant life, um, um, and his ministry has produced a lot of fruit. He's out of Atlanta, and I think that he is uh, um, a very good teacher. He has an accent that sometimes makes it hard to follow him a little bit, but uh, he is a, 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 a very faithful uh, man, um, and I can recommend him. David Jeremiah is a giant of our faith. He he is a man that the Lord has been using uh, for for a lot of years. I, I've, I've met David Jeremiah. Um, he's actually he actually came to a pastors' conference that we hadn't spoke at Calvary Chapel Pastors' Conference in California. And uh, Paul and I had the pleasure of sitting with him at a pastor's uh, uh, appreciation luncheon here uh, in San Antonio, um, hosted by by KSLR AM 630. Uh, and um, you know the thing that I love the most about him is that he's 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 actually older than I am, uh, and he has no intention of slowing down. He was asked if he's going to retire. He said they will they will um, have to take me off the stage when I die at this pulpit. And, uh, you know, he, he's continually testing himself. He, after all these faithful years of ministry, uh, Dr. Jeremiah uh, has never once said, you know, I think I'm going to sit back and take it easy. He's pushing himself more and more, and he's looking to go out flaming. I mean, in a, in a, in a wonderful sense, uh, he, he just wants everything God has for him. He doesn't want to miss anything. Uh, and, and we sort of have a kinship there, uh, Dr. Jeremiah and I do. And I'm not equating myself with him by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, he's a guy whose lunch pail I probably won't be able to even carry when we get to heaven, but very, very faithful. Um, and Tony Evans, um, Michael, is is uh, spectacular. I, I, uh, his heart uh, is uh, magnificent. He is a really, really, really smart guy. Um, um, but but his messages are preached to the people in his church, and he makes them practical. Um, uh, again, no hint of of scandal. Uh, he has been a faithful witness uh, for our Jesus for a long, long time, and I actually can't recommend him highly enough. So, um, you know, his style is certainly different. Uh, he yells, I don't. But, um, boy, the content is just wonderful. So I hope that helps. Let me also say this. Michael, if you'd like to, to download things and, and listen to them while you're out, um, uh, Ravi Zacharias um, is um, a constant in my life. Um, I love to listen to, to uh, Ravi. Um, he is uh, smarter than... I could ever imagine being his ministry is especially difficult. Uh, he's in large part in the universities of the world encountering uh, hostile crowds a lot. Uh, but he is uh, so faithful, so consistent, and his message couched in such love. Um, Ravi Zacharias is somebody that, again, I couldn't recommend um, highly enough. So, Michael, I hope that gives you some information. Thank you very, very much for the question. Thank you for listening to the program uh, every day. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 340-9585. Here is a question from our email inbox from Drew. Pastor Ron, when Ron reads Ezekiel 22, uh, verses 23 through 29, it seems to describe the times in America today. It leads me to believe that what we're seeing today is no different than 2,600 years ago. Do you think God is looking for that one man to stand in the gap? Ezekiel was that prophet. Or has God began the judgment of America? Drew, let me start from the beginning. I think God has begun the judgment of this world. I think we're so close to uh, Jesus' return um, that um, judgment is already beginning to fall. Uh, Paul says in Romans uh, that that, uh, the judgment has already begun. Uh, That's why man is so um, hard-hearted and so um, disobedient to the things of God. Um, Ezekiel, you're you're right about one thing. People have never changed in the history of mankind. Um, people were disobedient then, they're disobedient now. 
Uh, and you're right. The Bible is timeless. Ezekiel's prophecy. Remember, he was in Babylon prophesying not only to the Jews in exile, but also prophesying to the Jews who remained behind in Jerusalem. Um, and um, it was the message of judgment. So again, I think it describes perfectly, although the audience is different, the times that we're living in here in the United States, but not just in the United States. It's in the world. In the world. And God is always looking for a man who will stand, a woman who will stand, a man who will stand with him and for him, a man who will declare the word. But not like Ezekiel. Ezekiel's watchman on the wall, or that that man to stand in the gap, he was as a prophet. There are no more prophets today because there is one man who stood in the gap for the history of mankind. And that man, of course, is Jesus Christ. So our message isn't a prophetic message, the, the kind of prophetic message that Ezekiel or Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of the other prophets had. Our message is a message about one man who stands in the gap. Job said, if there were only a man to stand between me and God, well, Jesus is that man. And our message, Drew, is to proclaim him, to proclaim him. Maybe we can help some people avoid the judgment. Hope you hear the music. We have 30 minutes to go in our Wednesday program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program i'm pastor ron arbaugh as you just heard hey i want to remind you and i know you just heard my voice during the break it was recorded this is my live voice we have two more days and a wake up and joy of Jesus will be here. We'd love to see you there. I promise you, you have. If you haven't been to one of our Joy of Jesus events, you won't believe it's possible. Uh, the things that happen out there, the things we do, the people that we get to touch, the people we get to hug, the people we get to pray for. It's a wonderful, wonderful event. Uh, Saturday, October the 28th, from 11 o'clock until 3 o'clock in the afternoon at Travis Park in downtown San Antonio. I'd love to meet you. If you get there and you're kind of overwhelmed by the numbers of people, just look for somebody in a blue shirt. If you want to meet me, they'll bring you to wherever I am. Uh, and we'd love to do that, and we'd love to have you come. So that's coming up this Saturday at 11 o'clock in the morning. One other thing, please pray. Please pray that that cold front that's supposed to hit early Friday morning is sort of sawed off in half by the Lord. Um, I'm a wimp. Cold weather kills me. So the temperatures are supposed to be 65, which is manageable. Um, but no wind and there's no rain, so we don't have to worry about that. But you'll be blessed beyond measure. Um, one hint about joy of Jesus. If you really want to be blown away, Go stand over and watch where people are getting haircuts and they're getting makeovers, um, manicures. Um, when you see the homeless population, some of the people only get a haircut once a year and that's the joy of Jesus. And when you see them transform and when you see people talking to them about Jesus and praying for them, at the same time they're cutting their hair or doing their nails or doing their makeup, the transformations are overwhelming. And it will put a desire in your heart to serve and to reach out. Now, earlier in the program, I talked about having God's heart for the people, for the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, the confused. You watch what God is doing through people who are committed to serving him, rightly representing him. And God will put that deposit in your heart. And what he wants us to do, please hear this, he wants us to love the unlovable. And when we do that, we're just like he is. After all, he loved you when you were unlovable. We need to pay that forward. 
And Saturday, we get an opportunity with a whole bunch of people. Uh, you may have heard on the announcement this year, we're doing something a little bit different. We're featuring a concert. Uh, we're hoping just to get a bigger crowd of unbelievers. We're kind of really more preparing for next year than this year. This was sort of an afterthought, but you'll be blessed hearing Jocelyn uh, Enriquez is her stage name. Uh, we know her as uh, Jocelyn Makasadia. Uh, she is the wife of our worship pastor, Elaine, uh, and, and they're just the, the most selfless, energetic servants of the Lord. Well, she's going to sing a lot of the music that she uh, that made her famous and uh, uh, in the world before she got saved. And all the while, she's going to be declaring good news about Jesus Christ and what he's done in her life and her family's life as well. So all of that Saturday, you will be blessed beyond measure. Okay, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Seth. Pastor Ron, why doesn't God heal today like he did when Jesus was here or in the book of Acts? Seth, uh, we're we're in, on Friday nights, we're in the book of Acts right now. In fact, we just started, I just finished uh, the first half of uh, Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira were killed. And by the way, God doesn't kill hypocrites in the church like he did back then either. So there's a lot of reasons that God doesn't heal today like he did when Jesus was here or in the book of Acts. Now, let me also preface this. In the background, don't forget this, that there are places on this planet where God is healing people. He's doing miracles. Places where there's no light. Places where people to convert uh, from their faith would be in danger of losing their lives. They need to know Jesus is still in the business of winning people. And miracles are signs pointing to Jesus. Well, in the United States, we don't need miracles and signs to point to Jesus. We have him. I just was talking with Michael. Uh, in response to his question a few minutes ago. And, and you know, we, we have more free Bible teaching available than at any time in the history of the world. We have more churches, more information, more books uh, that tell us about Jesus. We don't need signs pointing to him. So the healing miracles that were done by Peter and by Paul and by the other apostles, and by the way, almost universally, now there are some exceptions, but almost universally, they were done by the apostles. And the miracles validated the calling of God in those men's lives as apostles. When miracles were done, the message followed about Jesus. Why do you look at us as though by some strength or by our own power we made this man whole and able to walk, speaking about the beggar at the, be- at the beautiful gate? No, it's by the name of Jesus that this man was healed and stands before you now. Pointing to Jesus. So I think that's one reason miracles, signs, were intended for a very specific time. It doesn't mean there aren't still miracles. I said that already. In parts of the world, God is still doing those miracles. But we in this country certainly don't need those kind of miracles to know about Jesus. I think a second reason... He said, while we lust after miracles, Jesus said it was an evil and adulterous generation that seeks after signs and wonders. We are that generation. We lust after miracles. We want God to do things for us when we're not serving him. We're not concerned in this country about personal holiness. We're not standing in the gap for Jesus in this unbelieving, this loud and vocal unbelieving world. The church is filled every Sunday, and I'll just speak about my church, but it's true in all churches, with a whole bunch of people who aren't even born again. Now, many are. Praise the Lord for that. But the earlier question we had about Jesus going into hell and being tortured, you know, we've got churches filled with people who believe that trash. There's no doctrinal purity. There's no personal purity. There's no emphasis on repentance from sin. And if you want to read, especially early in the book of Acts, read Peter's messages. What must we do? Repent. We don't want to say that because we want people to think badly of us. We don't want them to think, or we don't want to think that, that want them to think that we're judging them. 
So those are the two primary reasons. We don't need them. We wouldn't recognize a real miracle if it hit us in the face. And then there's no commitment to following Jesus in personal holiness. The Bible says without holiness no one will see the Lord. Jesus told us to aim for perfection. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we have a tendency of thinking that's too hard or too high a standard. Seth, I promise you that if you want to see God move in your life, you pursue personal holiness. You follow Jesus every day and watch and see if he doesn't move in your life with great power. I promise you he'll do some shaking things up in your life as well. So stop looking for miracles. Start looking for Jesus. If that's your priority, then perhaps that kind of power will be available in your life. But don't think that miracles done in the early church to establish the church in the minds and the hearts of the people, don't think that miracles are to be commonplace. And sadly, we've made them, at least seeking them, commonplace in too much of the church. We treat God like he's some heavenly concierge instead of almighty holy God. So I hope that helps. Let's go to Harold on line one. Harold, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ryan. Yeah, uh, I, I guess I'm a little edgy when it comes to certain things. Uh, it wasn't a big thing at work yesterday afternoon, but someone had, some child had died by some bad mishap, and someone had just made a comment. It wasn't supposed to get out of hand, and said, oh, he was adopted, and and I wasn't even in the conversation, and I just said, I said, Jesus is adopted. Not adopted, but what is it? Um, he, he adopted us. Yeah. No, he's not adopted. He's uh, Acts uh, 13, 33, where it says my son will be, oh, begotten. Begotten, that's the word I'm trying to come up with. I said begotten, yeah, I didn't say adopted. And I think, yeah, you know, begotten. you have to be careful because uh, Jesus Christ is begotten. Well, what do you mean? I never read that before. Well, if somebody says that, it doesn't bother me. I just said, well, it's some, you know, somewhere in the Bible. But, you know, we can't take life. And so I understand where it says Jesus Christ died and then got, and then raised him from the dead. And then he became his begotten, you know, Acts 33, 13, or 13, 33. And now from this day forward or... You're my begotten son. So that made me think a little harder, not about the other story, but exactly what does that mean? Because he got him, or he's begotten, or he's added to. Uh, you know, uh, if you can help with that, I appreciate it. I got some ideas, I but I'd like to have yours. I can do that, Harold. Thank you very, very much. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 13, uh, Paul is is quoting um, David in 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 the Psalms uh, the Psalm the second Psalm, uh, which is um, uh, every Jew understood that it was messianic, and that means when David was writing it, it pointed forward. It was prophetic. You are my son. Today I've become your father, or today I've begotten you. Another translation says um, that was pointing forward to a very specific day, and that day he says in verse thirty three has been fulfilled. Uh, by raising up Jesus. So uh, it was on the day of Jesus' resurrection that he was vindicated by the Father. Uh, it was it was the validation of every claim that Jesus made. It doesn't mean that God the Father wasn't the Father before that day. It just means that the fulfillment of that prophecy, that Messianic prophecy, was realized on the day that Jesus rose from the dead because that's sort of God's exclamation point on everything that Jesus said about himself uh, and how we know that it's true. It's the reason, Harold, that we know that what we believe is true and every other religion is not true. We know that because only Christians have a man that was killed, a perfect man, and God validated his perfection, uh, his sufficiency as a sacrifice by raising him from the dead. And on that day, it was apparent to all the world. It doesn't mean that it was that day he became the son, because we know that he is the eternal son. So thank you, Harold. I appreciate the question very, very much. Let's go to Spring Branch and talk with John on line two. John, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. 
Um, on the previous caller, I heard you say um, how some churches believe that uh, Jesus uh, went to hell and then he came back and conquered that. And I used to, I still think that could be a possibility how, because uh, it says how he conquered the grave and he has the keys uh, to hell, the keys to Hades. So I was wondering if maybe you could explain on that and um, what your reasoning for there's no possibility he uh, went to hell and conquered it and then came back after three days? Or Okay, I can, I can do that. I can do it, John. Thank you very, very much. Uh, again, the, the teaching is heretical because Jesus never stopped being God. And if God could be tortured, if God had to emerge victorious from anything, John, then he's not God because he's already victory. Now, here's what we know. We know that the, the, the empty tomb, the resurrection from the dead, was Jesus triumphing, triumphing over, uh, over death. Uh, death, where is your string, sting? Death, where is your victory? Jesus triumphed over death. Now, we know that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. We know that because that's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. But when you combine what Paul said and what Peter said in his epistles, that he went down there to declare victory. He declared victory. And the reason he had the keys to Hades is because um, Ephesians also tells us that he set the captives free. Now, what that means is very simple. Uh, And please follow my logic here, John. Um, Luke chapter 16 gives us a picture, the only vivid picture of the abyss. Uh, the place called Abraham's bosom or paradise. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And also the place of torment. In Luke 16, we see the rich man being tormented. We see Lazarus, the poor man uh, who is in Abraham's bosom, and he is in in paradise. Uh, The rich man says, uh, uh, send Lazarus over to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in torment in this fire. Well, what Jesus did Um, In the three days he was in the tomb, he descended into the lower parts of the earth, but he did so to set the captives free, and he preached a victory message. That's what Peter tells us. And as he preaches this victory message, it's not giving them another chance. He's not preaching to give those who are lost in the place of torment a second opportunity. He's declaring the everlasting gospel. And when he opens the gates of Hades, the, the, the place that we call paradise or Abraham's bosom, he then takes the captives in his train to heaven with him. He set them free. So that is a statement of triumph. It's a, it's a message of victory. And if Jesus could be tormented by the devil, he wouldn't be God. That's why it's heretical. That's why it's blasphemous. And there's no indication. Now, I've never really understood, John, why they use that. I mean, it's so heretical. I never understood the point they were trying to make other than they use it to teach people like us that, well, then, because we were lost in sin, we too can triumph and follow in Jesus' footsteps. But, But that's to misunderstand the entire cross, the entire empty tomb and what Jesus did. Uh, by setting the captives free. So he did indeed descend into the lower parts of the earth. But his purpose was to declare victory over death. Now I want you to imagine for a moment, John, what it would have been like for all the people in that place of torment, the rich man and all the other people that were there, when Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth, I imagine we've got people in one compartment, paradise, the other compartment being tormented, and I imagine the ground would begin to shake, angels would have gone before him, the light would have been so brilliant, and suddenly Jesus appears. Imagine the reaction of those who are in paradise. Jesus says, I've come to set the captives free. This is the fulfillment. These are the promises that, that were always promised by my Father in heaven, and then he would take them to heaven. But imagine the response of those who heard the message but rejected it. Imagine men like Judas, Caiaphas and Annas, others who died rejecting Jesus, rejecting God's promises. Men like Korah or Achan 
Imagine the terror, the sheer terror of that moment for them. They see paradise emptied and the captive set free. And they realize the finality of their prison sentence. And of course it doesn't get any better for them. In fact, it gets worse. A day is going to be coming, the white throne judgment, when they will be thrown into the lake of fire. So this is a victory declaration. It is not, it cannot be Jesus being tormented and suddenly emerging victorious. This is not World Wrestling Federation. You know how the wrestlers in the, the, the wrestling, they're one guy, the good guy will be taking a beating the whole time and suddenly there'll be this dramatic move in the match and, and the good guy will, with his last ounce of energy, flip the script and pin the bad guy. That's WWF. That's not Jesus. Jesus is the conquering king. Death, where is thy sting? Death, where is your victory? John, that's why it's blasphemous. It's not possible because it completely denies the sovereign power of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for the question. 340-9585, Benjamin's question. Pastor Ron, if the Bible is God's revealed word, why is it that so many people read it and don't believe? What's the difference between a Christian who believes and an otherwise intelligent person who reads it and doesn't believe? One word, Benjamin, one word, faith. Now, again, I always have to be careful to explain this because there's always cynics listening. There you go. You Christians always talk about faith, some inanimate thing, some unmeasurable thing. No, it's faith based on evidence. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day they pour forth speech. There's no nation or language which are not understood. We can see God. We can respond to God. The dishonesty of the question, well, I can't believe in God if I don't see him. He won't let me see him, so I can't believe in him. That's a dishonest statement. God is everywhere. And all we have to do is seek him and we'll be found by him. So the difference is faith. Paul and I were talking just this morning, in fact, as she was reading to me. And she was sharing, she was uh, on Monday night sharing with the ladies about her pastor's uh, wives retreat. And she said, you know, uh, and Paula is is um, self-demeaning at times. You know, I'm not very smart. And she said, but, but I've, I've always just believed. It was easy for me to believe. And so she could believe it. It was a gift from God. Faith, Ephesians 2 says, is a gift from God. But it's a gift that's available to everyone. And so Paula heard it. And she believed it. And she got saved. The truth be known, Benjamin, so many people are reading God's Word to find problems with it. They're reading it to find loopholes in it, and I'm talking about many who profess Christ. So intelligence isn't an impediment, nor is it boost to believing. Some really, really smart people, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Some really, really smart people have rejected God's word. Stephen Hawking is a brilliant man. He's rejected God's word, and this has been true from the very beginning of time. So the difference is faith. Benjamin, let me do this one thing. Let me challenge you. Read the Gospel of John. I'm, I'm going to presume you're a believer because you're listening to the show. And say, Jesus, I need the gift of faith as I read this. And then you'll never apologize to somebody who's really smart who's rejected him again. Thank you very much. Appreciate the question. Let's go to Joe on line one. Joe, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm doing well, Joe. How are you? Um, I'm okay. Um, I wanted to call in for a couple reasons. I have a question and then I have a prayer request. I have a, I think you probably remember me asking you to pray for my coworker, David. Um, he's an older guy and he, um, 
Anyway, he has had some recent complications that were almost life-threatening, and they may still be. We're not quite sure, but he's in the hospital now. And so I went to go visit him today and just try and talk to him one more time about Jesus, you know. Um, and he's, he's a very knowledgeable man. He, he knows a lot of things, but he refuses. I think you might remember he refuses to look into the facts of Jesus because, you know, he feels like it'll push him over the edge mentally. Um, like he's had a like a, he's had a mental um, breakdown before, and he doesn't he doesn't want to you know go anywhere near anything like that. So he anyway he rejects Christ, um, but you know he told me at one point because he could I guess he could tell he said Joe don't worry about me you know I've been baptized which made me want to scream you know yeah. <laughs> but. Um, I, I reject Jesus. I reject Jesus, but I've been baptized. Well, he doesn't Joe, outright say I reject Jesus, but you know, he he obviously does. You know, but you know, it's almost like don't worry about me because if if what it takes is being saved, I've already been baptized. You know, yeah. so I know we're running that out of that's we're, not a we're, we're we're Joe. We're running out of time. So, what's your question? I know that's not a requisite for baptism, I mean, for salvation, but mm -hmm. I'm curious as to why it would be staged like that in the Bible, you know, um, to um, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. I wonder why those two are grouped together, because um, it just seems it just seems confusing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It, it's only, um, uh, Joan, you might have to listen to tomorrow's program. The music can start pretty quick, but it, they're, they're only lumped together a couple of places. They're not uh, lumped together in other places. Believe, and in fact, Romans chapter 10, we're going to be studying this week. Believe and confess with your mouth and you're going to be saved. So baptism is a result of being saved, not uh, a cause of being saved. It's very, very important. One other thing, we'll pray for David, our audience will, but would you please tell him maybe that the reason for his mental instability is his rejection of Jesus Christ and consider that Jesus is the answer. Joe, thanks for the call. Hey, we got to sign off quickly. May the Lord bless you and keep you. See you tomorrow with Paula. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525.